0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton. It has been a pretty insane week in the news, and it's only going to become more insane as the week goes on. And I have the perfect guest to discuss what is going on in the cultural climate in Washington and with whistleblowers and so on. And I want to welcome John Tai to the show. John, how's it going?
1: Great, Nick. Thanks for having me.
0: So let me ask you to give a very brief 140 character introduction of yourself, and then we'll jump right in.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm the founder and the CEO of Whistleblower Aid. We're a nonprofit legal organization in Washington, D.C. We launched in 2017. We've represented uh, a variety of whistleblowers from departments of energy, State Department, CIA, uh, Federal Housing Finance Agency. And we are supporting the legal team representing the uh, two anonymous whistleblowers in the Ukraine matter.
0: Okay. So before we get to the Ukraine and and the the hearings that are going on and everything – I'm curious is is the whole whistleblower climate I mean I you know there's been movies and TV shows and things that have touched on this stuff in the past specifically around the informant with smoking a couple like a decade or so ago and things like that but it seems like this the rise of the whistleblower is is among us is this because of the the internet because it makes it easier to release information? Or is it because of the political climate? Or what has brought this about at this point in time, do you think?
1: It's a good question. I definitely agree that every day that goes by, the importance of whistleblowers goes up uh, for the rule of law, for the health of our democracy. I think the reason for that, one of the reasons for that is that 50, 60 years ago, the biggest threats to democracy were statutes on the books that we all knew about. So things like segregation or outlawing, you know, homosexuality or uh, other things like that. Uh, today, you know, that's changed. Some of those laws aren't on the books anymore. Uh, and the biggest threats to democracy are covert. They're hidden. They're it's about the control of information, the misuse of information. We're seeing that uh, you know with all this election meddling all over the world uh, where governments are able to to meddle in each you know with each other without even attribution sometimes um, and in so many policy areas uh, it's about who controls access to information so, so whistleblowers in that kind of environment are becoming more and more important
0: so you were a whistleblower um, and I want to talk a little bit about that and but I also, as you talk, if you can tell us a little bit about what your specific case was, but I also want to talk a little bit about what it's like to do that. For, you know, is it terrifying? Are you, are you worried about the repercussions? Do you feel like this is the most important thing for the country? Um, uh, what's kind of going through your mind as you're going through the experience yourself of, of, of trying to get something public that you know is wrong?
1: Yeah. So I'll quickly summarize my situation. I worked at the State Department in the Human Rights Bureau on internet freedom uh, around the world starting 2011 through 2014. During that period, the Snowden disclosures happened and I was part of the diplomatic team responding to them, uh, various governments and the UN, uh, rights to privacy, that kind of thing. And during that I got two classified briefings from the NSA, the National Security Agency about the scope of signals intelligence collection around the world and it turned out I you know I had a top secret clearance uh, got these classified briefings and it turned out that even for a whole year after the Snowden disclosures there hadn't been a single article on the legal authority the NSA was using to to collect most Americans data which is an executive order called 12 triple three I felt this was seriously problematic, that it violated the Fourth Amendment, that even after the disclosures there hadn't been any discussion of this. Uh, So I wanted to come forward. I did not want to go to prison. I did not want to break the law. I did not want to flee the country. Uh, So I ended up hiring lawyers. So you asked, what was it like? It was scary. Uh, I was one of the lucky people because first of all, I was a lawyer myself. So I knew lawyers to call. Uh, I had enough money to pay them. I paid them thirteen thousand dollars, which is not nothing. Uh, and a lot of people you know can't afford that. and you know, I had options so that i I didn't have to break the law to follow my conscience. And that's really what we've tried to do with whistleblower eight is build an institution that going forward, more people uh, will have more more lawful options
0: do you the day that you the day that you blew the whistle um on this program, did you? Were you kind of prepared for what was going to happen, and was it was it more intense than you thought it would be, or was it kind of essentially what you anticipated?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it was scary. I remember pacing around my house, just going through all the different permutations. Have I got something wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Could they try to come after me for something? I mean, for hours and days, uh, you know, I was thinking about that kind of stuff. I ended up meeting with staff from the inspector general at the State Department, at the inspector general for the NSA, uh, staff from the House and the Senate Intelligence Committees. And ultimately, I wrote a an op-ed that was published in the Washington Post, but before I submitted it to the newspaper, I, I I put it through pre-publication review and had the government review and make sure there was nothing classified in there. And all of that was scary. And I, in fact, I had to write that document by hand because – it's, il- it's illegal to uh, introduce classified information onto an unclassified computer system like my laptop uh, and until they clear it, they you can't be sure it's not classified. Uh, so I had to actually – I have all these pa- paper handwritten drafts of this wow. thing.
0: Yeah. So when you um, – after this happens, uh, you have the decision. You say, OK, well, I know what I've been through and I'm, I want to make sure I help other people. In that period of time, it seems that, you know, that there's been countless whistleblowers that have come out, and you've, of course, been involved in in a number of them, and from, you know, Ron Farrow's uh, reporting on Joy Ito's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, um, uh, the current case right now sitting in congress you know countless things do you have have you been able to kind of help people through both the emotional aspect of this as well as the legal aspect is that part of the of the process that you go through with these folks
1: absolutely it's a very scary thing people's careers are at risk in some cases uh their freedom is at risk if if they are handling for instance classified information and people are scared and they don't uh, know what to do. Often they're very emotional, obviously, uh, about things and they need someone to to help them. So, you know, we are first and foremost a legal organization. As part of that, uh, we are allowed to and do provide social services sometimes. So when one of our clients got fired, we helped pay their rent for a few months until they were able to get a new job. Uh, we help people with counseling or medical issues. Uh, we help them secure themselves. So we have both technical and physical security advisors. We give them new devices uh, so they can use clean devices to communicate with us. Uh, generally, try to do everything we can to make this process safer for people.
0: Have you had instances where people have come to you and uh, wanted to come public about something, and you've advised them not to, or that you have um, have they have become gone public, and, and nothing has come as a result of it?
1: Well, yes. There have been people who wanted to make disclosures that we advised them not to. And typically that was to protect them. Now, you know, each of these cases is complicated. Each of them is different. And, you know, maybe 90 to 95 percent we said, oh, yeah, you can disclose this, but let's leave out this detail because that could expose you to a problem or it's unfair to someone else. I mean, we are – we're clearly doing our best to, to help our clients, but we're also not trying to infringe on other people's privacy. We're not. We don't engage in doxing or mass leaks or anything like that. And if someone else's privacy uh, would be impinged by a disclosure, you know, that's something we would take into account. It's, sorry, I forget the second question.
0: It was you know have there been instances where people have disclosed things and you and nothing has come of it? I mean, I you know, there's obviously a number of different instances where we've seen things uh, come of whistleblowers. Um, Have there been times where, as you've been- Of course, yeah.
1: I mean, unfortunately, the answer is yes, is that valid disclosures do not always get results. Uh, One of the, the, the two biggest reasons people decide not to become a whistleblower is number one, they're worried about their career and their safety and retaliation. Number two, they're worried they're gonna incur all these costs you know, personally, and nothing's going to change. So we clearly are, are working hard uh, to, to help people feel safer, but we're also working hard to bring accountability on their underlying disclosures. A great example of that, our client Simon Edelman was the photographer at the Department of Energy who was in the room with Secretary Rick Perry and a coal executive named Bob Murray uh, that Simon thought was, was inappropriate, uh, was, you know, was corrupt. Simon – the government took steps to hide this meeting, um, refuse FOIA requests on the documents. Simon was the photographer in the room and he took close up photos of these documents that basically show the Murray Energy Corporation asking for special favors uh, from, from Rick Perry and Rick Perry basically just went down the list and started doing these favors for this company. Um, And Simon had the evidence of it in Simon's, Photos, I think, were uh, instrumental in stopping Perry's proposal uh, to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to subsidize Bob Murray's coal business. So uh, certainly, not every disclosure works, but 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 they can. Uh, the, the FERC ended up voting that proposal down five to nothing uh, after those photos, assignments, photos came out. So uh, it's always hard, but it, it is possible.
0: But Rick Perry is still, you know. Uh, Secretary of Energy. So there's the, the the good side, and then and then the bad guys get to stay there doing the things that they do, right?
1: Yeah, I, I you know we, we we got that proposal voted down, but uh, we weren't able to get any uh, accountability for Perry personally yet. Although it's still uh, you know we still have pending claims that we you know this is almost two years later now are are, are continuing to litigate. Uh, so you know we'll see
0: and. When it comes to the United States and whistleblowers, do, is are we an exception or or I mean, of course, I'm sure if you're a whistleblower in a place like Russia or North Korea, it's not going to work out so well. But um, are there other countries that have kind of pioneered this before us or is this something that we kind of excel in?
1: Well, whistleblowing depends on the rule of law. You know, You're appealing to the law to protect you and hold the – Perpetrator accountable. Uh, so any environment or country where there is no rule of law or it's dominated by you know uh, autocratic government, it's it's just not going to work. And it, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not safe. Obviously, there's lots of whistleblowers in Europe and other parts of you know the uh, uh, the, the world. Uh, I'm not an expert on that. I'm a you know I'm a lawyer in the United States. I will say that the U.S. has always been a pioneer on whistleblower matter. So actually, Abraham Lincoln. Signed one of the first whistleblower statutes because contractors for the Union Army were, you know, defrauding the Army during the Civil War, and he he signed something called the KETAM or the False Claims Act, which gave financial incentives for anyone reporting fraud against the United States uh, to to report that to the you know for investigation. You are listening to Inside the Hive
0: with Nick Bilton.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
0: How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. When you look at the um, the president and the way he has responded to the current whistleblower situation around Ukraine and, and uh, in the White House and so on, is this unlike anything you've ever seen before i mean you you were a whistleblower under obama and i don't remember obama tweeting terrible things at you um and yet trump is you know calling for treason and all these things is this kind of have we ever seen anything like this happen before
1: no we're in a a, a terrible and an unprecedented situation uh no president has ever acted like this it's uh, it's against the law to intimidate people. It's morally wrong to intimidate people. And you, you know, the president, people close to the president, uh, other uh, elected officials have gone out of their way to try and intimidate both the original anonymous whistleblower, um, the sources to that whistleblower, other civil servants and military who are are called you know as witnesses by the U.S. Congress. Um, and that's, that's illegal and it's wrong and it needs to stop.
0: And is there anything legally that can be done to stop it? Or is it just, is it just Trump being Trump and there's nothing that we can do to, to stop him from attacking this person? And is there, uh, that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question, is it possible for him to go after a whistleblower for treason? Is it, and to make this a, you know, an executive order that he puts through or something like that? Or is that just him bloviating online?
1: A uh, prosecution for treason would require a criminal prosecution by the United States Department of Justice pursuant to uh, due process laid out in the US Constitution. Um, obviously, if someone has committed treason, they can be prosecuted for it. This The bar is actually quite high and difficult. Uh, none, uh, <laughs> No one has even done anything wrong by coming forward with claims. certainly not treason, so that would be totally inappropriate. Uh, in this situation,
0: and so do you think that is this just Trump trying to intimidate the witness and he's doing it from the White House and on social media and that's it
1: well look i I don't speak for uh, the legal team i'm I am not part of the legal team representing this client uh, my own uh, you know with that said, my own personal view is yes, this is an attempt to uh, intimidate people who are following their oath to the Constitution to report problems as they see them.
0: When you look at this current White House, um, there, of course, were people who came forward during kind of the the chaos around Nixon and so on. Um, And it seems that the people who are being whistleblowers, you know, you have uh, Anonymous, who wrote the op-ed in the New York Times and now the new book, uh, A Warning. You have this whistleblower around Ukraine. You have things that are leaking all the time. Does this seem like... There are more people, I mean, just from your you know viewpoint from a distance, but also being involved. Are there more people that are blowing the whistle on this administration than we've ever seen before?
1: I don't have any statistics, but uh, you know anecdotally, there there's clearly a lot of things different uh, about this administration than uh, previous r- Republican and democratic administrations.
0: So what do you think – how does this all kind of play out? Is this all, does this all happen publicly and, um, and it's kind of left up to Congress to decide if they're going to be more partisan or bipartisan or so on? Or, or you know, do we see more whistleblowers coming forward or is it just kind of yet to be determined just from the things that you've seen so far uh, in these cases?
1: We are running a mobile billboard around Washington, D.C. That on the back of a flatbed truck, this huge thing the size of a wall that says, uh, report government lawbreaking without breaking the law. Uh, and it gives our contact information over a secure system. So uh, we are clearly uh, encouraging people to come forward when they see something wrong. Um, uh, you know, every every decision like that is a very personal thing. So it's hard to speculate about what people – um, Will do, but the civil servants, uh, members of the military, they all raised their right hand. They swore oaths to the Constitution, and they wanna when they see something wrong, they want to do the right thing. So, you know, obviously, I, I hope they'll do that. I'm, I'm, we're trying to help people in that situation, and uh, I guess we'll see.
0: So, I want to talk a little bit about the um, the digital aspect of this. Do you, when you look at like an organization like WikiLeaks, um, is that do, do, is that something that people, you know, that's, that's a way that you can essentially be a whistleblower to a certain degree without coming forward? Is that a bad way of, of trying to get information out that is um, and not just WikiLeaks, but anything like it? Like, is that a bad way of, of dealing with it where you kind of get to do both the good thing, but also protect yourself? Or is that a bad idea?
1: Uh, I, I would dispute the idea that WikiLeaks protects its sources. Uh, Chelsea Manning was a source to WikiLeaks and served, I think, seven years in prison, including over a year in solitary confinement. So uh, I don't think that that's a safe or advisable thing to do. Um, I, you know, we we are created to help people avoid legal liability uh, as they blow the the whistle. Um, so, uh, you know, the first thing you should do is talk to a lawyer. Don't go to a journalist. Don't go to WikiLeaks. Uh, talk to a lawyer that you trust. They can invoke attorney-client privilege to protect your conversations um, and so the only advice I can give is, is come talk to us or some other lawyer that you trust. Uh, that's the only uni- universal piece of advice um, and certainly leaking to WikiLeaks or a newspaper is not a safe thing to do, especially with classified information.
0: When you talk about – when we go back to your case, um, Order 12333, um, it was essentially about uh, the NSA spying on Americans. Knowing what you know now about what goes on with surveillance in the United States – do you do you think that that our government is still spying on American citizens, or or has that been has that changed as a result of of your um, whistleblowing and Edward Snowden?
1: So I haven't had a security clearance since 2014, which is five years ago. Uh, but there is nothing to indicate that the situation has changed or improved. And if anything, the U.S. is collecting even more. Uh, the U.S. is collecting a huge part of the data on the global internet including Americans communications Um, and there's various ways that it does that but the biggest one is bulk collection. I mean it has – it has collection points uh, installed on all the undersea cables uh, at various internet exchange points around the world. Uh, It has private – so private companies. are voluntarily participating uh, and are involuntarily hacked, uh, you know, by the NSA. So, no. I, in short, I, I remain highly concerned that the U.S. government, without legal authority, without oversight or from Congress, without oversight from any court, without a statute authorizing it, is collecting most Americans' data, storing it uh, for for five years, uh, you know, searching it, using it. Uh, and it's it's a real threat to our privacy.
0: But the thing that I never really understood is what is it that they are looking for and what do they want? I mean, if I'm texting my wife or, you know, emailing a friend or, I mean, or just browsing the internet, well, what is it that so they, yeah.
1: They are only permitted to um, search for things that have, a uh, you know, a nexus to national security or foreign intelligence or potentially... Criminal violations, but that historically, that's not all that's happened. So there was a uh, an episode. Uh, so 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 they distinguish between humint, which is human intelligence, sigint, which is signals intelligence, and then love int uh, was this scandal in which low-level NSA employees were basically, you know, looking up the photos and messages from their romantic partners. Um. Now, those people were disciplined but that is always a risk any time this, this information is there. Uh, so, you know, and it's the kind of thing that J. Edgar Hoover was doing against Martin Luther King, which is looking for damaging material on a political opponent, in this case, uh, you know, one of the civil rights heroes. Uh, and you know, I, I personally don't trust uh, any president and definitely not – uh not the, 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 our current president has a history of, uh, for instance, leaking Lindsey Graham's cell phone number, uh, which you know people called to harass Senator Graham. After that, that's the kind of thing that can happen when officials have access to uh, all of our uh, private data.
0: Do you? What do you recommend that people do to protect themselves? Like I, I was once told, use Signal, but then someone said, "Oh, Signal's not secure," and it's like, should I just? write things down on paper and, and drop them off at someone's house? I mean, you? Yeah, I mean, you- the,
1: the truth is there is – if you're a high-value target, when most people are not high-value targets, but if you are, there is no safe way to use a phone or a laptop or or any digital device or a sat phone or anything. Um, you know, most people aren't in that situation. Um but the safest thing you can do is to have conversations in person and write things on paper and burn those papers. I mean that's what we do and I – you know, we have elaborate security procedures to protect our clients with the presumption that we're under surveillance. Um, with that said, yes, yeah, Signal is uh, – is a is perhaps the best option. It's not 100 percent secure. Nothing's 100 percent secure. Uh, but if you use Signal – especially on the Apple iOS, uh, that raises the cost for people penetrating your, your conversations. Um, it's pretty complicated. There's no, uh, single thing you can do. Uh, but you know, that would be a, a decent first step.
0: Do you, um, do you guys use Wi-Fi or do you try to avoid that?
1: uh wi-fi i'm not going to speak about our particular (laughs) operation (laughs) security but wi-fi in general is less secure than an ethernet connection got it uh, okay hardwired connection you're listening to inside the hive with nick bilton
0: you come to the new yorker radio hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. So, when you look at the, you know, the government and their surveillance tactics and um and then you look at these corporations like Facebook and Google and their surveillance tactics, shouldn't we be more worried about the latter than the former or are they equal or is it not is it a whole different ball game because it's for corporate profit rather than for, you know, taking down opponents and things like that?
1: Well, they're different types of threats. I mean, You know, the Russian and the Chinese governments are hacking hundreds of people throughout the United States and not just in national security positions. I mean people who work at energy companies and utilities and universities and manufacturing operations and even retail and agriculture, uh, you know, in a core – I mean and a high priority target is – Facebook and Google and Yahoo and Amazon uh, and, you know, all kinds of tech and and telecom companies. So, no, targeted government surveillance by hostile foreign governments is a threat to thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in the United States. So, I don't want to discount that. Uh, You know, uh, uh, and that is a real thing, you know. the the the, the, de- the data from those people is very valuable, and the cost of hacking them is is pretty low. And I, I imagine a lot of the listeners on this show fall within the pool of people who could be targeted by by foreign governments. Um, sure, uh, you know the, the 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 corporate surveillance is it is a different an issue. It's sort of a, a different set of issues. I mean, sharing. Data with Facebook as we've seen uh, allows it's, – it's part of uh, – well, it allows micro-targeting of you um, and so you know, you're not getting paid for the value of your data. Uh, other people are monetizing that um, and it – you know, my view, I don't have a Facebook account because I don't want to participate in a system that y- is used to uh, undermine elections and democracy around the world.
0: Uh, Hear, here to that i i uh i completely agree with you um one of the things that happens with whistleblowers in today's day and age because of things like facebook and social media is that they inevitably get outed it turned out that um uh donald trump's son potentially outed uh the whistleblower in this particular ukraine issue is it is it possible for someone to be a whistleblower in 2019, 2020 uh, and remain anonymous or is that just completely impossible?
1: Yeah, we have w- – the answer is sometimes yes, uh, but you can't necessarily guarantee it. We definitely have clients who have brought anonymous disclosures, one at the State Department uh, and others and have remained anonymous uh, and we've protected their identity and um, you know, with something as high profile as the Ukraine matter, I'm, I'm not going to comment on any alleged names that have come out, you know. But when people have – a lot of people have an incentive to retaliate against that person, um, it becomes hard to protect their identity. So you can't guarantee it, but it, it can be possible.
0: And do you try to do things in advance to get these – to make to make it more difficult for them to be identified or um is there just only so much that you can do
1: Yeah no there's a lot we can do I mean starting off with new devices so that people aren't using their existing cell phones certainly no work computers or work phones uh to communicate with us we can red- we'd redact- I was just spent several hours redacting documents for a different case to to pull out you know sensitive information and email addresses and things um, we, you know, uh, like I said, we, we, we can make anonymous filings to inspectors general. We can work with journalists to keep people's names anonymous and, you know, that often works. Uh, you just can't guarantee that someone won't find out the name.
0: Talk a little bit about the MIT Epstein news and how you guys were involved in that case and how that played out.
1: Yeah. Our client, Signe Swenson was Worked as uh, for years as a development officer at MIT, first at the main university development office, and then for the Media Lab. She was a junior staff employee, and but but was one of the people involved in uh, taking money directly from Jeffrey Epstein, and the, the MIT's collaboration with Epstein to pull in money from other people like Bill Gates and. Uh, a New York uh, financier named Leon Black. She was very uncomfortable with that. Um, she sort of raised objections at the time, and her objections were ignored. And then, in the wake of Epstein's arrest, his suicide, questions about his involvement with various philanthropic efforts and in institutions, um, she felt that MIT wasn't coming clean. With the full scale of uh, its relationship to Jeffrey Epstein, and she had the email. She had uh, you know emails from Jeffrey Epstein, from Bill Gates's staff, and from others Demi, from Joey Ito, who is the head of the Media Lab, showing the, the the close nature of this relationship, and also that they they knew at the time that this was inappropriate. They you know the, the emails said things like uh, you know don't share this. This is secret. Uh, we can't. We can't you know, let anyone know that we're in this relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. So she uh, c- came to us. We you know, helped her and, and got in touch with Ronan Farrow at The New Yorker and he published a story at this point a couple – over two months ago that within 24 hours, uh, Ito was out at MIT and from various boards. Uh, it had a very immediate impact.
0: So one of the things that's been so fascinating about the Me Too movement is it—it's been kind of a domino effect of people who have come out, <clears throat> and it's led to other people, of course, coming out. Have you uh, have you had a a, a wave of new um, whistleblowers that have come to you after that um, that case kind of resolved itself in the way it did?
1: Yeah, uh, several. Clients and prospective clients that we're in fact working with now, with disclosures about uh, you know sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, that kind of thing. I, thing I that, can't really go into details. Yeah, no, I totally I, understand. I, I will say that we did win the first Me Too sexual harassment case against a Senate confirmed U.S. official. In uh, that uh, that case was against Mel Watt, who was actually a Democrat. Um, appointed by Obama, who was running the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and our client, Simone Grimes, had evidence of pay discrimination and other things. And when she tried to resolve it, uh, his – Watt's response was basically to, uh, you know, try to initiate a a personal relationship, an intimate relationship with her. And uh, she had evidence that he had, you know – Asked her to come to his vacation house alone so they could ex- explore their sexual attraction. Those kind of things. Uh, obviously harassment. Obviously inappropriate. Um, and we we got a, a inspector general finding against Watt on that. So we're very proud of that and got a great uh, settlement for Simone. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Belton.
0: One of the things that I've always found so fascinating about the Me Too movement is how it has—it's uh, gone through corporations and businesses um, with with veracity. It is you know we've seen some of the biggest titans of industry fall, and yet in in government it has not actually had the effect. You you know you talk about Watts, but um, it has not had the effect that you would imagine it would. I, I and is there is that because there haven't been Whistleblowers that have come out, or I mean, we we've seen it against Trump, and it just it's Teflon Don; it just bounces right off him. Um, or is it because people in government have an ability to kind of um, bounce past all these things, and and they just don't affect them in the same way?
1: I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, certainly, elected officials have a different set of you know ca- calculus. Um, in terms of they're held accountable typically by the electorate um and so you know a whole set of political considerations come into play that aren't in play with uh, you know corporate people who are accused in the corporate world uh you know this is sort of it's sort of beyond my expertise how the media handles such allegations and and, and why some people uh aren't held accountable i'm, I'm not sure
0: when you look forward to you know to the um, the future of kind of whistleblowing, is do you see more instances where corporations um, are starting to be held accountable more? I mean, we've seen it with the Me Too stuff, but we haven't necessarily seen it with the or maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't necessarily seen it with uh, the instances of, of corporations doing things nefarious, and we you know we know that, that some of them are. Is it? Is it? Are we still waiting for those things to come out, or have they come out and been a little under the radar? Or wh- where does that stand? The there's a
1: lot of, of corporate whistleblowers out there. I mean, they're making movies about them, uh, you know. And the SEC, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, has a whole whistleblower program. Uh, and this is an interesting. Um, we do these kind of cases. Where if someone at a corporation knows their, you know, their company is breaking the rules, uh, the SEC rules for public companies or financial regulations, they can report that to the SEC and make disclosures. If the SEC uses that evidence, you know, to, to start an investigation and bring an action, then the whistleblower can get up to thirty percent of what the SEC recovers from the company, and these can be very large numbers. I mean, thirty percent of a hundred million dollars is. $30 million for the whistleblower and in the last couple of years, we've seen multiple awards for $50 million to you know individual whistleblowers or in, in particular cases. So there are huge incentives and it's happening and the SEC is bringing these cases and, and giving huge awards. Now, most of those people remain anonymous. So uh, there haven't been necessarily media stories about who they are and why they did it but There is a great opportunity for anyone listening. I mean, come talk to us, and we'll help you file a a claim like that.
0: How do you? um, How does uh, Whistleblower Aid, you know, pay for itself? Do you have uh, donations? Is it is it crowdfunding? Like, yeah, we're
1: we're we're a C three charity nonprofit, uh, and you know, our our charitable goals are the the protecting the rights of whistleblowers. Uh, So, yeah, we we accept. We did a crowdfunding campaign to help pay for, uh, you know, that this legal team could secure itself and and so it could represent these anonymous uh, intelligence community whistleblowers pro bono. Uh, We've also received money from foundations, um, from individuals, uh, and it's all tax deductible.
0: So last few questions and we'll let you get back to your uh, uh, defending whistleblowers um, and – the one of the people I was when I was reading about your particular case, um, there was this story that I read where it said that um, you know part of the reason you may have been able to do what you did was because Edward Snowden kind of went before you, and he's of course the you know most famous whistleblower, I guess, in history. Does does do do you think that he will ever be able to come back to the U.S. or will it will it take? a change in culture or an administration that is more understanding of whistleblowers? Like how does that play out do you think?
1: First of all, that's correct. I wouldn't have ever even learned about my disclosures if it hadn't been for Edward Snowden. Uh, you know, he 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 did apparently break the law and, and, and leak classified information and he's under indictment. Uh, he's currently, you know, uh, has – some kind of refugee status in Russia the Russian Federation which uh you know depends on the government the Russian government um so if that government ever changes its mind uh, he would probably be extradited to the United States to stand trial uh i i i you know your guess is as good as my as good as mine as to uh whether that might happen or when uh you know it, it's hard for me to say
0: Is does he have like is there a a strategy for someone like Edward Snowden to kind of figure out a legal way to uh, to be able to come back? Like, is there a world where he you know they push for some change in the law or somebody has to you know?
1: In his case, he would need to negotiate some kind of deal with the U.S. Department Department of Justice, uh, which you know, based on what I've seen. The Department of Justice has no intention of negotiating such a deal, uh, but that could change with the new president. So it's hard to it's hard to say.
0: Do you think that um, when it comes to this administration, we will see more whistleblowers, or is it kind of it all depends what happens with this current case?
1: We've seen a lot already, and every reason to think <laughs> we would see some more.
0: How many do you? How many is it so far? Do you know? That have come out in one form or another, whether it's anonymously or, or not. I mean,
1: dozens. I mean, there have been whistleblowers on some of the issues around the border and the child separations. There have been whistleblowers on various, you know, uh, tax matters. There have been environmental whistleblowers in the EPA and elsewhere. Uh, all of our clients from all those different agencies, the State Department, Department of Justice inside the mil- all the different military agencies, intelligence agencies, I, I mean, dozens. I-, I don't even know all of the different uh, cases.
0: If you, one um, last question for you. Uh, when you look at, you know, you have these people that are coming forward to you every day talking about these bad things that are going on in governments and companies and so on and so forth. And on the one hand, you you have this world where, you're seeing the pretty dark side of everything quite consistently, but you're also seeing the positive side because people are coming forward. Do you think that, that uh, does this give you kind of hope for the future or does it think, make you think like, oh my God, we need more of this in order to solve the problems that are taking place today?
1: Look, I think that the global demand for what we are doing is basically infinite. I mean there are so many – there are thousands of people in every country on earth with evidence of official lawbreaking by governments, by corporations, uh, so many different things and we are just beginning to scratch the surface here. Uh, So, you know, I I hope that we – whistleblower aid continues to grow and continues to expand. Um, I want to take on criminal justice issues. We just got a criminal justice inquiry. You know, we know that prosecutors and police forces—I I lived and worked as a lawyer in New Orleans. Uh, you know, are railroading innocent people. Uh, let's get some whistleblowers to disclose that. Now, I, I, you know, I certainly support law enforcement generally, but uh, you know, bad police officers and bad prosecutors should be held accountable. Um, I would love to expand into that and to help you know do, do more you know every industry. Why shouldn't all of the meat processing plants where there's ever a reason to expect labor and environmental and other kinds of violations uh, be held accountable and and, and be you know uh, make sure that those people are being protected who work there? So I think there's a huge opportunity for growth. Um, you know, people who want to help, uh, number one, they can give directly to the uh, the two anonymous whistleblowers that we are supporting with respect to this Ukraine matter. Um, it's helpthewhistleblower.org It's a GoFundMe, helpthewhistleblower.org And anyone who has information and wants to come forward, uh, there's instructions on our website with a secure way to do that. Our website is whistlebloweraid.org, whistlebloweraid.org.
0: All right. So uh, I, I said it was the last question, but I just want to follow up with one other thing. You sure. mentioned criminal justice reform, but bringing it back to Rick Perry, you know, there was a case, a very, very famous case about a man who uh, allegedly set his uh, house on fire and killed his three kids, and and right when he was on death row. Um someone came forward and said they figured out, oh okay, well, it turned out that it was probably it would not probably that it was not arson and that um, it was uh, it was a an electrical fire and Rick Perry wouldn't even hear the case and the guy went to death row and died. Is't isn't there, you know, we've we've heard uh, millions of stories, thousands of stories, sorry, um, of people coming forward um, saying that they were, given a deal in a prison cell so that they would testify against someone and then changing, you know, so that their uh, whatever, however long they would spend in jail would be would change or be or their case would be tossed out. This is an example where these people that come forward rarely have an impact. How do you if you do go after criminal justice reform, how do you? make sure that the people who are blowing the whistle are going to ensure that there's going to be a a result uh, uh, for that rather than them coming forward and nothing happening.
1: Look, I I am far from the only person in this country. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, a lot of people agree that our criminal justice system needs a lot of work and there are no easy fixes. I mean, it's very localized. We need more resources. We we need better defense counsel. We need um, better prosecutors. So, so there is, you know, we need acts of Congress and reforms by all the fifty states to improve this situation. So there's no band aid solution here. With that said, if one of your listeners wants to reach out and and help on this, here's what I propose. Let's find the, the 12 worst DA offices in the country. Let's uh, hit all of their employees and, and police forces. Let's hit all of their employees, all of the officers, all the prosecutors and the, the, the administrative staff with ads. Let's put up billboards outside their offices that say report government law breaking without breaking the law. Let's encourage them to come to us and let's start. Bringing you know strong evidence-backed complaints against people who are committing misconduct, who are who are railroading innocent people. Let's get prosecutors disbarred. Let's get police officers fired, um, and maybe prosecuted depending on you know the facts I- I- in any particular case. And you know you you get one or two prosecutors disbarred from misconduct, and I think a lot of ba- a lot of the, the the claims against innocent people would start dropping, uh, and, and you would see reforms quickly. It would be hard to measure, but um, clearly it would send a message. So uh, anyone out there listening who wants to participate, um, get in touch, send us money. Let's, let's, let's get this up and running.
0: John, thank you so much. It's been really fascinating and uh, I really appreciate the work you're doing and, and, and for you taking the time to chat with us today. It's been great.
1: Thanks so much, Nick.
0: If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That's me. You can find these on Apple Podcastradio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, you of course, to my sponsors this week, Spotify, Honey, Netgear, and Lightstream. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I'll see you next week for a gobble-gobble Thanksgiving special.
1: Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about.